Today on the We Invested podcast, we have Dr. Rob Scranton, the founder of YourFinancialIQ.org. Dr. Rob, how are you doing today? Doing fantastic, Wesley. Uh, nice to see you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great to see you. And before we get started, would you mind letting the people know where they can find you on social media or the internet, your websites? Yeah, probably uh, the best place to find us. A lot of people first get introduced to us is at uh, yourfinancialiq.org. So that's yourfinancialiq.org. And we do have some free resources on there, uh, a masterclass on what we're going to be talking about today. The nice thing is it's it's free, but if they go there, uh, we'll show them how to get back all the money that they're uh, for all the cars they're ever going to buy, drive, and own for the rest of their life. And get all and have the car uh, at the same time. So I don't know how much uh, of the money that you've gotten back for all the cars you bought, driven and owned so far on your life, Wesley, but that's usually something that's pretty, uh, people are pretty interested in just by doing one, adding one extra step to their financial life. Wow, that's incredible. And I've never gotten any money back for any of the cars <laughs> that I've ever driven in my life. So I'm already excited to learn more. <laughs> cool. So let's just start from the top and talk a little bit about, you know, where you're from and where you grew up. Yeah, so I grew up uh, born uh, same hospital as Jimmy Connors, I like to say, at Memorial Hospital in Belleville, Illinois. My parents moved up to Moline, Illinois, and I went to the University of Illinois. And if you're a basketball fan, I was uh, at six row student tickets there during the Flying Illini uh, years there when they went to the uh, probably should have won the national championship but made it to the final four and um, yeah I got a degree in accounting and finance uh, there from the University of Illinois and kind of started out my career there up in Chicago downtown in the loop uh, doing public accounting um, filing tax returns doing audits of companies and I eventually landed a job at the Florsheim Shoe Company um, as a financial analyst uh, for them. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's kind of how I started out in finance, but then my life took a, a real turn. I got a severe accident and I couldn't raise my shoulder uh, more than about 30 degrees uh, for about two and a half years after an auto accident uh, with five rounds of physical therapy, tons of drugs, lots of doctors. And a friend of mine is like, you know, I think you ought to go see my chiropractor. I'm like, what's that? What are they going to do for my, my shoulder? I thought they worked on backs. Anyways, this guy got me back to full functioning, playing volleyball at full speed within about three months after nobody had been able to help me for almost three years. So wow. I left school. Uh, I left Chicago and went back to, funny enough, my hometown, the Quad Cities there on the other side of the river in Davenport, Iowa, to become a chiropractor. Wow. That's a very interesting, you know, journey that you've taken. I mean, it sounds like you have a rich history in finance and, you know, financial services. Uh, you know, and I also hear a lot of cool things about the Midwest. A lot of people that I meet from the Midwest are like just very uh, approachable, easy to talk to. Um, how would you say that growing up in Illinois impacted your outlook on life and success? Yeah, I, in 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 some some good ways and bad ways. I think uh, is a very uh, blue collar. Uh, a lot of people there had the mindset of you know the goal was to try to get a job, or especially where I lived uh, near the Rock Island Arsenal, a government job where you could just get locked in there, and you, you know you'd kind of go through the the government uh, levels of um, 
you know, pay structure, have a guaranteed job for life or till retirement, I suppose, anyways, and then still get paid forever until you died uh, there as well, which was, uh, that, that's just kind of what you saw everybody do either that or work in the factories at John Deere or International Harvester. That's where the international headquarters uh, was there. And so really good work ethic. That's probably one of the stereotypes about people from the from the Midwest as well. Just, you know, kind of your salt of the earth, good, honest, hardworking, you know, uh, type people. All at the same time, is a very limited mindset because as I became a chiropractor, I kind of took on that same mentality or idea about everybody else. Like, well, what does everybody else do? Because at a certain point, like I, my practice was successful enough. I was paying my bills. I had a little extra left over, a decent car. Then we got a second car then we got a house and, you know, a vacation or two a year. But I started thinking like, uh, how am I going to retire? I don't have that government pension, you know, working at the Rock Island Arsenal or working at John Deere uh, or what, or, you know, the people that thought they had a pension with International Harvester. Well, uh, that was the largest, uh, one of the largest factories in the world at one time. And poof, it's gone and disappeared, doesn't even exist anymore. Uh, so that's not necessarily, you know, a guarantee either, but I didn't have any of that stuff. I realized, you know, the last adjustment I ever make on a patient is the last paycheck that I'm ever going to get in my entire life, uh, unless I go do something else or get another job. And so I, I started trying to diligently put money away, doing what, you know, you hear everybody else doing, sticking money into 401ks and the minimal amount they'll let you put into a, you know, Roth IRA, which ain't going to amount to a hill of beans or, mm -hmm. you know, ever grow to any kind of significant amount that it's nice. The government allows you to do that, but not at a level that's going to have any sort of impact on your financial life at all. And then in uh, 2008, 2009, boom, like I lost half of it. So that was one of mm -hmm. my first big mistakes I felt like I made in, you know, my uh, financial life was turning over all the responsibility of my finances and putting it in somebody else's hands. And I realized like, man, I don't even know who the money managers are that are, were handling my money. Uh, I don't know if I could trust them. I don't know if I even like them. Uh, I don't know if they're ethical or, you know, what their investing philosophy is. I don't know anything. Like that seemed kind of ridiculous, right? One of the most important things of our entire life to totally hand over uh, entirely to somebody else that you don't know and never met and don't know anything about, but everybody does it. So there's comfort in doing what everybody else is doing. Even if everybody else is walking off a cliff, like you look around and like, well, I, it must be safe. Everybody's going this direction. Like, <laughs> right, <laughs> so right. I'll do that too. So, you know, I guess that leads me to my next question or, or just the, you know, origin of, you know, this company and this business that you've been able to create and grow. Um, you know, you said that you wanted to be able to take your finances and your financial future as well as your retirement into your own hands. Yeah. So with that being, you know, with that being said, I want to ask, what is your financial IQ.org? Well, as a as a company kind of born out of uh the next iteration of when I lost half my you know, investment account. And I started looking around and my parents were kind of at that age where they were looking at retirement and all their friends and our neighbors were starting to kind of retire. And uh, 
they, you know, same thing happened to them. They lost 40% of their whole investment account. And I heard so many of them say kind of like forlornly, like, golly, I just, I always thought that if I could save a million dollars and I'd be able to retire comfortably and live the rest of my life, you know, off of that and boom, right. As they were being done with their working life, it, you know, 40% hit like that is huge. Cause if, even if they were planning on living off of uh 4%, like they say, you should never withdraw more than 4% out of your 401k in retirement. So a million dollars, that's still like only $40,000. But if that dropped, you know, 40% and it's more like 23 or $24,000, who's going to live much any kind of life on $24,000 a year. And that's at a 4% drawdown. Now you see a lot of experts saying, because people are living so long that they really should, you know, plan on only, you know, uh, drawing down about 1.9% uh, a year if they want it to last their whole life. So that means you save up a million dollars, you're only taking 19,000 bucks a year to live off of, and nobody can live off of that. And so I seeing all those things, I'm like, well, that plan didn't, hasn't really worked for me so far. It didn't work for my parents or their, or, or their friends. I need to start looking at, at other things. And I started hearing this, uh, about this thing called the infinite banking concept. And I was like, wow, that's, you know, like hit me like a wet rag in the face. First time I heard it, like, that's so different. Like I never heard anybody talk about that. And I felt kind of, then I felt kind of like, but it makes so much sense. And I, I tried to poke holes in it, looked at it from my accounting and finance background. I'm like, no, it makes complete sense. I can't find any holes in this. And then I was kind of mad and indignant. Like, why has nobody ever told me about this? Why haven't I heard about this? I got a degree from the top accounting school in the entire country at the University of Illinois. And I never heard about this. I worked in that industry and I never heard about any of this. And it just kind of made me mad. And as I started doing it, I started telling a lot of my chiropractic friends about it because I was like, if I didn't know this with my accounting and finance background, I can be darn sure, you know, none of my doctor friends, you know, probably know about this stuff either. And I started learning like, boy, doctors actually with all their education are some of the most financially illiterate people on the planet, actually, because they're so busy that they just assume that they make enough money that it'll just handle itself and take care of itself because they're such high earners typically, but uh, they don't really do that well with their finances. In a lot of cases, I found out they just have a very low level of knowledge. And so I I didn't do anything about it at that time because I had enough people like, oh, what is that? No, you, you should stay in stocks and mutual funds. And I'm still hearing that traditional model. And it wasn't until about the third time I heard this, like, no, I'm going to do this. And I told my dad about it. He's like, wow. He says, I wish, I said, what do you think about this, dad? And because uh, I told him, because first I went to my financial professional, right? And told him about it. And man, he just uh, made me feel about, you know, an inch tall at, by, by the time he got done berating me about how bad an idea this was. I was like, holy cow. And I mean, he was just incensed that I would even bring it up which I thought was really weird because I'm like, this, oh, this makes total sense to me. And, but then, you know, I did some investigation and there's a website you can go to uh, called Boley. So it stands for bank owned life insurance. And you can look at any bank in the country and see exactly how much we'll talk about later uh, whole life insurance contracts that that bank owns. And this bank that my professional uh, financial professional worked for um they also had a securities wing. So I looked at the bank that owned the company that he worked for, that he's telling me that this is a horrible idea. And I saw that 35% of all of the money that that company has 
uh, was tied up in whole life insurance contracts, more than their uh, stocks and more than their real estate. Isn't that interesting? And that they're Absolutely. telling me, the consumer, that this is a horrible, bad idea, something that they're in, invested in to the tune of tens of billions of dollars and 35% of their entire portfolio of their entire company. Like something is shadier off here. This this is not making sense. Why do they they do one thing and tell me to do something uh something completely different. Well, I realized like, well, if I do this, every dollar I do over here is a dollar that I'm not going to put with them that they're not going to make a commission or fee off of. At least that was my feeling that that was what was going on. So the third guy I heard this from, you know, I started uh, started doing this and just saw the benefits. I mean, the, the features and benefits and qualities of this uh, vehicle around your finances just don't exist in any other financial uh, products that I'm aware of that's in existence at all. It's just absolutely uh, amazing. So I I created uh, yourfinancialiq.org uh, to teach and help other people, not just doctors, but you know all sorts of people. I, this is probably the most I feel like the most important concept and idea that I will pass on to my children is how to recapture and recycle and reuse the same dollars in their life over and over again, instead of them leaving and exiting their life, never to be seen ever again. Um, and, and so you can see, I'm starting to get a little bit excited or passionate about this. So <laughs> no, I, I appreciate the passion and, you know, you can sense that through the screen and, and through the headphones. So I know the listeners will appreciate that as well. Yeah, so that's uh, so that's kind of where I came from, is and I was I I I told you uh, real briefly that I had told my dad after I talked to my financial professional and kind of got beat down into a pulp and made to feel you know half an inch small because he had all this knowledge and it, I didn't or whatever. I'm like, well, I'm kind of smart. I'm a doctor. Like you can, I can learn new stuff. And uh, I told my dad about it, and my dad's reaction was like, wow. He says, I wish. I would have known this 40 years ago. Like, and I always thought of my dad as a pretty astute, smart financial guy. He's owned, I know you have people on here talking about real estate. He owned 39 units at one time and kind of retired as a uh, pharmacist around 50 and just kind of did that the rest of his life. So I've been around that you know world uh, quite a bit growing up with, with my dad and all the numbers he had to figure out before there were computers, you know, he was doing all that stuff, you know, by hand, you know, figuring out whether, uh, you, you know, the rents were going to cover the mortgage and, you know, taxes and utilities, et cetera, all that sort of stuff. And, um, uh, when I was talking to my dad, he's like, you know what? He says, I got something I need to show you. And so he went back and brought out this life insurance contract that he had uh, put on me when I was uh, an infant. And now it was like 30 years old. And he's like, yeah, you're probably old enough. It's time for you to take this over anyways and, and be in charge of this. But I just wanted you to see this, like what you're talking about. Like this has actually been happening for you, but I've been paying it all these years. And the reason was because... He got, I think, like a it's a whole life insurance policy, basically to cover, you know, burial expenses or whatever. It was like a ten thousand dollar, you know, policy on me when mm -hmm. I was a kid. But the fifty dollar premium that he was depositing into that policy every year, and he showed me the cash value growth inside that policy was over three hundred and fifty dollars per year. So think about that, Wesley. Um, if I were to uh, if you were to give me $50 and I immediately, immediately gave you back $350, um, how often would you want to do that? Every day. Every day. 
And <laughs> I, I think that's the thing that I, I think that if people really knew what this is that we're talking about to do today, if they really understood it, everybody would be doing it. Cause that is just such a, a, a brain dead, simple decision. Cause you think about that $50, I give you 350. That's a 700% return on your money. Where else on this planet can you get after 30 years a 700% return on something? And it's guaranteed to never go down and to always be there. Uh, it's not uh, you know, Monte Carlo casino game with uh, some investment strategy or mutual funds. It's in a contract with an insurance company. Uh, and th that just blew my mind you know, when I saw that. And then my dad told me another story. He says, actually, he says, the reason I, part of the reason I, I uh, put these policies on all you boys is because of our family history. And then he showed me his policy. So his policy was written in 1951, and that was a $48 a year policy. The death benefit had grown eight times the original face amount. And the cash growth inside that policy for him, for my dad, so $48 a year premium he was paying, and the cash value growth was over uh, $648 a year. That's a 1,300% return. And I know those are small numbers, but just imagine if you put extra zeros behind that, then all of a sudden that 50 into 350 becomes 500 you know, into 3,500 and 5,000 becomes 35,000. And so you can just imagine, I mean, that's one of the only regrets I've ever had you know, doing this is that I didn't start sooner and I didn't start with larger amounts the more I've seen how this works. But my dad told me a story. The reason he had that life insurance policy, his dad put on him. And then he put these uh, whole life insurance policies on me was because of our great grandfather during the depression. Um, you know, the way farmers worked back then, they were fairly poor people. So every year in the spring, they had to go to the seed company and the seed company would give them seed to plant on credit. Like they didn't have money to pay for it. Like they barely survived mm -hmm. the winter. And so they would then go plant that crop at the end of the season in the fall. They would harvest the crop, sell the crop, take the money that they got, pay back the seed company so they didn't owe them that credit. And hopefully had enough money uh, left over to buy food and survive the winter. But during the Depression, this thing happened where banks just started uh, going out of business left and right. People lost all their money. There was no FDIC even, uh, mm -hmm. you know, to insure people's money. And uh, so the bank in his town, completely gone. Um, and the seed company started seeing all sorts of people go uh, bankrupt individually as well. And so they wouldn't give people credit. They wouldn't loan out the seed because they didn't believe that they would get paid back. And so my grandpa's like, great grandpa was like, well, what am I going to do? If I can't plant, I can't harvest, I, we have no way to make any money. Uh, the, the house and the land is owned by the bank. And if I don't pay them, they're going to take that back. But then it, then, it, then, it, then it occurred to him that he had uh, this whole life insurance contract that he had purchased 20 years before. And he called the company and they said he had accumulated enough cash inside that policy to cover uh, buying the seed to plant his uh, crop. So he contacted them, borrowed the money. They sent it to him. He paid the seed company, planted uh, his crop, harvested the crop. And then just like he used to do with the seed company, took the money like an honest banker and 
paid back the money to his whole life insurance contract. And he was able to do this then year after year. And now he's available to avoid the banks and the seed company because he kind of had his own banking system and he was able to survive the depression. And our family was largely unscathed. And, and that's that kind of the family story that literally saved the family farm uh, by doing that. So this goes back multiple, multiple generations for me. I'm just doing this at a much more intentional, much higher, uh, more developed uh much more efficient manner than what they were doing, uh, you know, back at that time. And uh, so that's also part of the reason that I, you know, started yourfinancialiq.org to teach as many people out there. Like I said, if I didn't know this stuff with my accounting and finance degree, working in public accounting, preparing tax returns, doing audits, working as a financial analyst, I just know that there's a lot of other people out there don't, uh, don't know it. And, uh, you know, it's just such a simple one extra step that you can add to your financial life that over the course of your life, I mean, it's not a, uh, it's not a lottery ticket. Uh, it's, it's more of a marathon than a sprint, but it's something if you employ and you do regularly will make a tremendous difference for you and your, uh, and your heirs and your family, you know, over the course of your life and over the coming generations as well. We're talking about generational wealth, uh, with people as well. How would you define infinite banking in your own words? And do you, do people need to be already wealthy to get started or to apply this concept to their own financial lives? They don't need to be wealthy to start this concept. Um, they can start with as little as, you know, uh, $50 or $60, you know, a week, you know, in a lot of cases. I always tell people, start where you're at until you get where you want. But you got to start mm -hmm. someplace. It's like real estate, you know. Most real estate investors will tell you they didn't go into real estate and wait until they could uh, get their first 110-unit complex to start real estate. They did what they could. They scraped things together. They might have bought some rundown house and rented it out or bought a duplex for their first one and they grew from there. That's what my dad's story was. He, uh, you know, our house, his first house he bought appreciated so much, he was able to pull some equity out and buy his first duplex. That duplex appreciated enough that he was able to, uh, through the depreciation and refinancing, he was able to purchase four more properties because that one property and the appreciation and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, getting a line of credit, refinancing it, that building was allowed him to buy four more buildings. So that's how you start is you start small and infinite banking. Uh, in my opinion, we always talk about uh, what, what we really do. We feel like is teach people how to use their own debts and expenses. They already have to grow their wealth. Now, isn't that cool? Cause that's not like taking on a side hustle or taking a second job or working extra hours or scrimping or saving, you know, saving even more. We're just using the debts and they and expenses they already have and kind of shifting them, uh, you know, to, to grow their wealth. And, uh, that's, that's really cool when people understand that and, and get that concept. And then, uh, you, you know, as far as infinite banking, to me, it's really about taking you know, taking back control. Because one of my goals is to put as much of my money as I possibly can into a uh, uh, a tax uh, a tax advantage, tax sheltered, uh, tax free environment, and get the government's uh, fingers off of my money and get the government the heck out of my hair. And this accomplishes that because uh, it puts money into these policies. What's interesting because these uh, these products predate the IRS. They predate uh, the U.S. tax code. 
the government was unable to come in and screw them up and make up a bunch of laws and confiscate people's monies, uh, you know, illegally, you know, in in my opinion. So that cash that sit inside those policies because they're legally considered part of the death benefit in most all states, they are um, exempt from liens, uh, from judgments, uh, from lawsuits. Um, so that it's almost untouchable, but completely accessible at any time. Um, so I always feel like I sleep comfortably at night, even if somebody was to sue me in some frivolous, ridiculous lawsuit, take my business, take my house, take my cars, take everything I own. Well, I would still like a be like a phoenix and be able to rise up and start over everything all over again because I've got all that cash sitting inside uh, that whole life insurance cash value that nobody would ever be able to touch no matter what happens to me. And I love that kind of you know uh, peace of mind. I hope I never get sued, but people are crazy these days. <laughs> you never know what's going to you know happen or go on. So I love that aspect too. Absolutely. And so what are what are some of the um, you know, expectations or what are some things that people can expect when they, you know, initially start this process or they initially sign up uh, for, you know, a whole life insurance policy? What are what are the guidelines and requirements um, or the I guess the lockup period for the funds? Is there a certain amount of time that, you know, people have to wait before they can start withdrawing from that policy, that cash value policy? So a little bit, but it's very short. And the way we design these policies is that we want people to start using them and creating their own banking system, you know, almost immediately. And by immediately, we may we mean within the first 30 days of that policy right. going in forth, typically. So it's not very long um, at all, but it is because of the special unique way that these policies are, are designed. I mean, just like I say, as a chiropractor, like, you know, hey, my son could come to your house and make noises on your spine, but is he really helping you or fixing anything? Uh, you know, it's not the noises, it's knowing where to make that noise or where to press on which bone that's really going to make the difference for you as the patient. And it's the same thing when it comes to setting up these infinite banking policies. Um, you know, any life insurance agent could sell you a life insurance policy, but is it going to be designed in the unique way where we rely on a book called Becoming Your Own Banker? I would recommend that anybody for their financial literacy put that into their uh, library. It's by a gentleman uh, named Arnold. Nelson Nash, unfortunately, passed away here about a year and a half ago, two years ago, maybe now, um, called Becoming Your Own Banker. It's kind of the Bible of this whole uh, concept. And in fact, I, I try to reread it every year because, you know, just like our education tends to grow in layers, it, it feels like I... Most of the stuff is very familiar and I know very well, but it seems like every year I pull some little small nugget or something that I forgot out of it, uh, out, of, out of that book that I uh, that I need to know and and remind myself out of even. So um, I'm not. I'm trying to remember if I I I got a uh, got talking and got excited. Not sure if I answered your question or not. There, Wesley. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, 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 no problem at all. You absolutely did answer the question, and just um, you know, let us. You informed us about the unique. Um, you know, infinite banking system policy that you guys have in place that allow, you know, funds to be easily accessible and quickly accessible to, you know, any of your clients or anyone who who joins this program. Um, you know, but I want to ask, does taking loans from a banking system or from your own banking system affect your credit score? So if I take a loan or pull a loan from this infinite banking system, 
you know, that you're talking about. So, you know, we were talking about the unique infinite banking policy um, that, you know, you offer and that your company provides. And we were just talking about, um, you know, that withdrawal period, that 30 day wait period that the client usually experiences or typically experiences. But what I want to ask and get an understanding of is what happens to the cash or the loans if a person or a client dies? So, yeah, that's a, a really good uh, question. A lot of people have that same question, uh, Wesley. I think some people have this mistaken belief that uh, um, they something will happen to their heirs or their state or there'll be some penalty because they didn't pay uh, pay back the loan or what have you. But really, uh, the insurance companies are smart. They take that stuff into account. They're not going to let anybody get away with, uh, you, you know, having any more money than they're uh, entitled to. So say, for instance, if the total death benefit, if you take into account the death benefit plus the cash value that's accumulated in the policy, let's just use easy round numbers and say it was a million dollars that the person would have got upon their death. However, uh, maybe... Uh, I think with the example you're asking, say they took out $200,000 to uh, help their children uh, with a down payment on a house. They just got married, wanted to get a house. And so they took $200,000 out in loans from the policy of the cash value. And then they died like a week later. Well, the only thing that would really happen if the loans hadn't been repaid before their death, uh, instead of the million dollars, uh, the insurance company would just subtract the 200000 in loans and the beneficiaries would receive the 800000 So that's really the only thing that would actually happen um, if those loans weren't, weren't paid back. And that's what's so great about uh, when you are your own banker and you're taking loans against your own policy, you have full, complete control over the repayment terms that, I mean, you can determine the interest rate for yourself. All I have to do is go ask myself, hey, um, can I pay a 3% interest rate? Sure. Can I pay a 7% interest rate? Sure. And you can pay it over whatever terms you want. You could stop the payments for a period of time and restart them later. You could pay them back at, at an accelerated, you know, you know, you pay them back faster. You could pay them back slower or Ultimately, you could just not pay the loans back at all, as we just said in the example that we just gave. So that's what's so great about uh, this is as opposed to, you know, loan on, say, you got a truck and you didn't, you know, make the payments for four or five months. So what's going to happen to your truck? They're going to come and repo it. That's exactly right. <laughs> but if you're the banker and, you know, like, well, Wesley, I haven't paid those payments for a few months and say, that's all right. I, you can still keep the truck. Um, I'll, I'll get started back up and again in six months or so here, I'll, I'll get back on track with things. Oh, okay. That's cool. Um, because you're just, you're the banks, you're asking yourself all those questions. You don't have to get anybody's permission to do any of that stuff. Absolutely. And so because we're the bank or we become the bank, once we invest in this policy, does taking loans from this, from this policy, from this infinite banking system, impact your credit score at all? Is there a specific credit score requirement that you need in order to take these to borrow against your policy? No, I mean, in fact, uh, you know, 
if there isn't because again this doesn't show up on any credit reports because you're just borrowing you know from yourself and so it doesn't impact uh your credit score it's not going to show up on there it's not going to negatively impact it or positively impact it and uh it, it doesn't it doesn't really have any bearing on it because it doesn't get reported anywhere because all you're doing is taking uh, a loan from the general fund of the insurance company against the cash value in your policy with your uh, with your policy as as collateral, so the insurance company is completely covered in every uh, way way possible. So yeah, I mean you could you could go bankrupt, and the really neat thing uh, a lot of people don't even realize that all that cash value inside that policy in almost every state is completely uh, protected against liens, judgments, uh, you know, bankruptcy proceedings, or any of that kind of stuff because uh, the the law does not view that. Uh, cash value inside that policy as part of your assets. And so that's why it's protected against IRS, you know, judgments or lawsuits, any of this kind of stuff, because legally it's considered that cash value inside of that policy is considered part of the death uh, benefit of the policy, even though in reality, uh, you can call the insurance company and have access to any amount of money up to the full uh, cash value inside that policy that you want at any time within about two business days if you have that direct deposit in your bank account. So it's very liquid and, and very accessible. And nobody really can ever touch that money in, in, in any sort of fashion. No, that's incredible. I mean, you know, just speaking of protection and, um, you know, just protection from different life events that happen or different things that happen in life. A little earlier, you know, um, in the interview, we we're talking about the 2008 crash and how people lost, you know, over close to 40 percent in value of their investments uh, in the stock market, whether it was bonds or stocks. People lost value just just due to the significance and the size of that crash. Um, how can, how can, you know, these policies that you're referring to create a sense of safety and certainty for, um, investors in, in the policy holders during times of economic uncertainty? Well, that's uh, one other really great feature about, uh, these uh, creating these banks for yourself, uh, Wesley, is because you could put your money in the stock market or in your 401k or IRA, and it's going to go up and it's going to go down and it's going to go up and it's going to go down. And it can make you sick to your stomach if you're paying attention to that and watching that every single day. And sometimes when I used to do that before I got out of that completely, it used to affect my mood. Uh, for the day and how I reacted to things and interacted with people and all based on what this, you know, stupid number was doing, uh, you know, on, uh, you know, stock market chart or whatever. But the nice thing about these, uh, these banks and using these policies to do that is the only thing that can ever happen is uh, that these policies are going to go up and grow every single year because it's guaranteed uh, inside a contract with the insurance company. And what people also don't realize sometimes is uh, they worry about, well, how safe is the insurance company? I mean, we every single insurance company that we work with um, in building these special you know, type of banking policies has been around for over 100 years. And most of the ones we use have been around 140 plus years or as far back as you know 1847. Think about that. Before the Civil War, these companies have been around in business. And 
you know, they've paid out a dividend. You know, obviously the past is no guarantee of the future, but every one of these companies has paid out a dividend every single year, uh, going back more than a hundred plus years. So that's through uh, every recession, the Great Depression, two world wars, every economic downturn that we've ever had over that time, and they still paid out every single year. So we have a pretty good level of confidence that they're going to continue to do that based on the history, uh, even though we can't, you know, see into the future for sure. But that you know, people ask me that all the time. How can something that you know says it has a guaranteed uh, you know, interest rate of three to four percent. How can it ten years later be paying out almost two hundred percent return? Um, well, it's because the compounding that takes place inside the the policies. Even when you borrow the money out, the money still comes continues to compound. You know, if you take money out of your Wells Fargo account, as soon as you take the money out, you start earning you stop earning any interest on it at all, even though it's a very small amount, uh, has been for a few years anyways. Uh, but in these policies, that you never stop the compounding, you never stop the growth and the cash accumulation inside the policy, even when you're using that money somewhere else, it really kind of allows you to double dip. And we get paid in three different ways in these policies. And that's how uh, we can end up with these big guaranteed returns because it's in a policy with an insurance company. Um, so we earn an interest rate. We also get what's called return of premium. So as people's uh, you know, age that they're dying keeps getting older and older, well, when uh, fewer people die than the actuaries you know, believe are going to that year, the insurance company will actually return uh, part of the premium to the policy owners, which in the mutual companies we use are also owners of the company. And so when the company does well in profits, then we also participate as owners um, in receiving those dividends and those profits. So we're really getting paid kind of three different ways, you know, inside these policies, the way that we design them. No, that's incredible. I mean, in, so when, when clients come to you to learn more about these policies or to, or to inquire about them, what are the common like misconceptions that the clients have about this about these policies. Well, one is that uh, you know I would say they say oh somebody has told them more than likely that oh that's a whole life policy well that's expensive. Well, it depends on how you look at it. I mean, in you know in the near term in the first year, especially the way they've been traditionally designed and presented to people, uh, I could see their point if you're only planning on keeping it for a year. But think of the the term for this instrument is called whole life, uh, or it used to be called permanent life insurance. It's designed, your intention should be, I'm buying this to cover me and my life for my whole life. It's permanent, meaning permanent as long as I'm here on this earth. So if you go into it with that intention, it actually becomes the cheapest insurance uh, that you'll ever own because most term insurance is designed uh, to... Uh, be written on young people that are not likely to die. And so the insurance companies will never pay out them. There's no guarantee that your car insurance will ever pay out unless something awful happens, like you get in a car accident or your homeowner's insurance may never pay out unless you're in a hurricane or in a flood or something like that. So you may just spend premium dollars your whole life and never get any benefit from it. But you know, this is the one type of insurance policy that either you or your children or your beneficiaries are guaranteed that it's going to pay off. And in fact, uh, within uh, about 10 years, typically, you know, you will have received back every single dollar that you've ever put into these policies. So at that point, 
I mean, it's free. You get all your money back. Plus you get the death benefit on top of it or your heirs do uh, at, at some point. So it essentially becomes, you know, a free insurance policy. So I think that's, that's one that I think is, is kind of a bogus claim from, you know, from people uh, because they don't have the right mindset around it. If you're only going to buy a life insurance policy for a year or two, and maybe during the period of your life when you're least likely to die, then I, I and, and you let the policy lapse and I could see how it could be expensive, but really no more expensive than term insurance, because even though it's a lot lesser amount that you're paying for it, you're unlikely to ever make a claim on it. So all those premium dollars will be you know completely wasted for almost everybody that ever buys a term life insurance policy, uh, more than likely. Another one is that, uh, you know, I would say that, you know, that, oh, I can just go get one of those policies anytime. Like if you're thinking about doing this, I would do it sooner rather than later because it's unbelievable the number of times that I've had people like, oh, I just get an insurance policy anytime I want. And they don't realize that, no, you uh, can be approved for an insurance policy. We have to go through an application process. Uh, they, you know, have to usually have you pee in a cup and take a little blood, make sure you look as beautiful on the inside as you do on the outside. And if you don't, they may completely deny you a policy at all. And you may not be able to get any insurance policy where if you'd applied a year ago, um, you may have been fine and passed all those tests with flying colors. So I think that's one where people think it's just like going down to the Nike store and buying a pair of shorts that they could just go get it anytime they want, where no, actually, you know, you can get an insurance policy if the insurance company uh, judges that it's a good risk for them and that they would like to insure you and they invite you to start a policy sort of. So I'd say that's a, that's a, that's a second one. And uh, then some of the things you mentioned earlier that people believe like, well, what if I take these loans? Is there going to be a penalty that I have to pay? Or I've even had some people believe that that cash value that accumulates inside there, that if they die, that nobody will get that money. And that's just not true. You know, your, your heirs, your beneficiaries will get the full death benefit from the premium, plus they'll get all the cash that's accumulated inside there on top of it. But that's, uh, that's three I like to... Uh, you know, address that are, are, are pretty common as far as misconceptions um, uh, about these. And, uh, you know, the other thing is that this is some new, you know, wild idea or what have you, but, you know, whole life insurance products are probably some of the oldest uh, products in the entire insurance industry. I mean, you know, they go back over two 200 years, uh, you know, back to uh, back to England when they were insuring, you know, ships uh, sailing, you know, across the ocean and so forth. So this isn't anything new. Um, it's just, uh, I, I think, something that people are, have not been, you know, not been aware of, like I wasn't, uh, you know, and you can guess as to your reasons, you know, why that is. Is it because every dollar that you put into your own bank is a dollar that some, you uh, you know, money manager or investment advisor is not going to be able to make a commission off of because you're not placing it with them. Um, I don't know. We can all make our guesses about that as to why that is. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So for listeners that um, may want to get involved or may want to learn more, how can they go about um, uh, getting more knowledge or more education on this topic and, and about um, these specific policies that your company offers? A really good question, uh, Wesley. So uh, two suggestions I would make. We actually have uh, uh, a book that we recommend as kind of the 
Bible of uh, the infinite banking concept. Um, the, the guy that first kind of put all these ideas together and they became really well understood and really popular is a, a, a gentleman named R. Nelson Nash. Unfortunately, he passed away a year and a half or so ago. He wrote a book called Becoming Your Own Banker. So that's number one. And if you're not a big reader like me, you like to consume, uh, you know, by listening to podcasts, uh, information or Audible or whatever, you can go on Amazon and I believe they have an audio version of it as well that you can uh, order there. The second one is uh, they're more than welcome. We have a free masterclass on understanding everything about the infinite banking concept. And in fact, in that free masterclass, we'll even show uh, any of your listeners that are interested in how to get back all the money for all the cars that they ever, ever bought, driven or owned, you know, uh, that they'll ever buy, drive and own the rest of their life. I mean, as a matter of fact, and, you know, I always ask the podcast guests, uh, you know, how much of the money have you ever got back for any of the cars you've ever bought, driven or owned in your life so far, Wesley? Zero. Yeah. Would, would that be something you'd like to know how to get all the money back for all of them the rest of your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. So <laughs> I, I never have anybody say no to that. And so we show you actually exactly how to do that, how to have the car sitting on your driveway and get all the money back that you paid for it uh, on top of that in your bank account. And we show you exactly how to do that in that masterclass. And you can watch that or any of your, uh, any of your readers can watch that on uh, yourfinancialiq.org. So that's yourfinancialiq.org. I encourage your listeners to go on there. Uh, just let us know who you are and you can you can watch the full masterclass about everything about the infant banking uh, concept uh, on, on that free masterclass. What role does network and play in your industry and in your business um and how do you focus on on uh you know networking and getting out there and meeting new people and and, and spreading your message well uh a lot of it's uh you know ref referrals because i that's the one of the things that i think that is so interesting about this that if if people really knew what was going on and how this infinite banking concept worked everybody would do it that's the problem and why we're trying to educate people about it because most people don't know about it. They've been taught the traditional you know, financial models and ideas about how to save and invest. And what ends up happening is so much of their money disappears and leaves their family forever, never to be seen again. And we just want to teach people how to recycle, recapture, and reuse the same dollars that are coming into their life over and over and over and over again and keep them inside their family uh, to fund their families' uh, dreams and their lives instead of somebody else's. And uh, so being on podcasts like this, uh, we have you know a lot of referrals and people start using this and they start they get excited or to start telling their friends like, oh, you know, well, here's what I'm doing. And oh, hey, go listen to Dr. Uh, go, go watch this masterclass on, on Dr. Rob's uh, website and so forth. So that that's that's a lot of how we've we've been spreading the word. I I, I love this format. We're able to reach so many people and especially uh, people that are interested in taking back you know control of their own finances and uh, listening to podcasts and consuming information and hearing it from people that are doing all sorts of interesting things. I'm sure you have tons of uh, guests like that on your show and and that have figured things out for themselves um, outside the traditional you know. Uh, F financial world. And uh, that that's a lot of how we network and met people.
Absolutely. At this point in your career, how do you define success? How do I define success? Uh, you know, really, I think I think my biggest success will be teaching these concepts to my children so they really understand them and use this in their life at a very young age. Um, and, you know, I would like for my children as they move into their adulthood to view this as what for them that this is what a bank is not what we've all grown up believing banks are wells fargo and bank of america and so forth that this is really the only thing that they know and then as many people as i can educate and bring along with me uh to to share this so they can teach this stuff to their children because you know it's it's it is what it is but i i didn't learn these things or know this stuff until I was, you know, well into my thirties. And I just think, boy, if I'd have started 20 years, you know, 10 years, 20 years earlier than that, I just, you know, uh, where I would be at, uh, today, you know, with these concepts, but I, I especially like to reach the younger generation because I think a lot of people have really been led astray when it comes to uh, finances. And, you know, we talked about 2008, 2009. And like I said, when I realized, boy, that one didn't work for me, that didn't work for my parents' generation. If everybody's, you know, doing the same system and following the same uh, recommendations, and yet 95% of people in this country are never able to retire with the same lifestyle or better than what they had when they were working, you know, something's wrong and something needs to change. Absolutely. And so when you envision or when you think about the future, what does that look like for your financial IQ.org and your company in this business that you're growing and building? Yeah, I, I hope we get to a point where we have so many people reaching out to us that I have to keep training, you know, more money mentors and uh, people to teach people because I don't, you know, physically have, you know, time in the week to answer all the inquiries and, and answer all the questions and teach people and help people. Maybe I can multiply myself even more by doing stuff like this, you know, one to many, and then have teach other people uh, how to take the one-on-one -on -one calls. So far, I still do, you know, a lot of that myself, which I love doing, but I would love to have a capacity limit where so many people are interested in learning this stuff that I just can't literally do it all myself. That's, that's what I would envision. Absolutely. Dr. Rob, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate getting the chance to have this conversation and to learn learn more about the concept of infinite banking. Um, you know, just getting the chance to pick your brain. So I appreciate you for sharing this knowledge with us. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me uh, on, Wesley. It's it's been a joy, a real fun uh, time talking to you, and uh, uh, you, 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 great success on on your podcasting venture. It looks like uh, you're doing a fantastic job. Awesome, man. Thank you so much.